It's good to see you here this afternoon. Uh, just, just this announcement. Somebody asked me if, if Barb can have visitors at the hospice house. And I checked with Kathy, and she said yes. She said, just be ready. Um, she has her eyes closed a lot, but she's still listening. And, and I can testify to that. We were with her Friday, and she'd have her eyes closed and everything off, and she'd go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she's not sleeping necessarily. She might be, but I, I just told them that I'm used to speaking to people with their eyes closed. So uh, it was nothing real new for me. So anyhow, just let you know that, that that's available to you if you'd like to. And then I will put her address on the prayer sheet this week so you'll have that if, if, if you don't have it before then. All right, well, let's take our Trinity hymn books, 552, 552. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. God's blessing upon our time. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your gracious, loving kindness to us and for this Lord's Day gathering of your people again. And Father, we confess that we are continually in need of your grace to be able to hear you and worship you rightly and to obey you. And so we pray that you would Give us that grace now as we seek to worship you in spirit and truth. We pray that as your word is read and proclaimed this day, that we would be uh, attentive and diligent to listen carefully. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in each life, applying the word to us. We pray that it would edify us and equip us for every good work that you've ordained as we serve you to the end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are in Proverbs uh, chapter 13 this week. 
before we came out, I, w- I was reminded that how God gives us all things that we need for life and godliness. And Proverbs is such a rich uh, treasure uh, of wisdom and knowledge. And uh, how thankful we ought to be. And I was also uh, thrilled, uh, I don't remember this morning or yesterday, to realize that the Legacy Standard Version of the Bible is now available free online um, from Blue Letter Bible. I'll be reading um, from that um, this afternoon. But uh, here's a little quote um, that's on their website. For those who may not know, the LSB is a recent translation that was completed by a selection of professors from the Master's University and seminary overseen by Pastor John MacArthur. This version focuses on the precise literal translation of the original biblical text. And one of the reasons I love it is because they use, they spell out Yahweh in the Old Testament. But uh, that's the least of the benefits that are in this version. This is achieved through the consistent translation of individual words, accounting for the various nuances and differences that they may have. And the other beautiful thing about it, it's very similar to the NASB, by the way. It's from the Lachman Foundation uh, in cooperation with a group called 316 Publishing. I'm not uh, familiar with those, but I'm sure they're very well known. But the Lachman Foundation uh, is behind the NASB. So as I was reading, Dale was reading the NASB this morning, and I was following along in the LSB. Uh, So they're very similar, and yet there are some good differences, very heavily uh, notated as well. Anyway, I started to point out the great benefit is Strong's uh, concordance is linked to it, just like the NASB. So uh, it's a great tool uh, that we have. I don't, sometimes I just can't believe how God has blessed us. The the beauty of having these things. on the internet, there's there's a danger, but there's also a beauty that they can put out these latest uh, translations, the latest scholarship, because things are, are being discovered all the time, uh, and and men are working together. And what a wonderful uh, resource this is! So to have this uh, available free online is it's an amazing. They call it a work of love, and that's exactly what they've done to make that uh, available. Uh, free online, a labor of love. So that's what I will be reading from. I've noticed in uh, Proverbs that we start to find um, overlapping uh, subjects um, coming in somewhat of a a random order to us. And so we can kind of begin to form these little categories uh, as we go along. And the key, one of the keys, and benefits of seeing the Proverbs from our seat in the New Testament is that we can see both the the natural, the physical uh, meaning of these Proverbs and and make the spiritual application uh, to ourselves as well. Um, So we have the seen and the unseen in in the Proverbs. There's this world, there's the world to come. So a lot of times they will show things in antithesis to one another, wisdom as opposed to folly. There are many passages about fathers and sons, so there's lots of good instruction uh, here about raising children. There's very frequently, uh, as shown in opposition to each other, are the righteous and the wicked, good and evil, and various terms of a similar nature. There's also good instruction about how to use our money, our wealth, and as opposed to uh, poverty, how to get wealth, and what happens, the reasons why uh, poverty comes. There's also some verses here about our desires. God is interested in our hearts, and we're all pursuing something, and our desires are important, and our hopes. And there's also excellent instruction about just the Word of God. We need to uh, listen to and obey the Word of God. Uh, 
reading about uh, in the morning's message in Deuteronomy about how the kings were uh, to copy out the word of God for themselves. What a wonderful exercise um, that would be to uh, help cement it uh, in our minds. So with that, um, Proverbs 13 from the LSB. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of a man's mouth he eats what is good, but the soul of the treacherous desires violence. The one who guards his mouth keeps his soul. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is enriched. A righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man acts odiously and is humiliated. Acts odious is literally, he gives a smell, bad odor. (laughs) Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless, but wickedness subverts the sinner. There is one who pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor hears no rebuke. There's a verse that needs exposition. The light of the righteous is glad, but the lamp of the wicked goes out. With arrogance comes only quarreling, but with those who receive counsel is wisdom. You have quarrels at work, at home, at church. Here's here's their source, arrogance. Pride is probably in your versions. Wealth obtained from empty effort dwindles, but the one who gathers with his hands abounds. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. The one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The instruction of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. Good insight gives grace, but the way of the treacherous is unrelenting. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool spreads out his folly. A wicked messenger falls into evil, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who neglects discipline, but he who keeps reproof will be honored. Desire realized is pleasant to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to turn away from evil. He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the friend of fools will suffer harm. Evil pursues sinners, but the righteous are repaid with good. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Abundant food is in the fallow ground of the poor, but it is swept away by injustice. There's an example of a very difficult <laughs> to translate verse. There is actually not a verb phrase there as far as is in. And literally, it would be abundant food, fallow ground of the poor, uh, swept away uh, by injustice, or want of judgment uh, is another way of uh, translation in the King James. Anyway. Verse 24, he who holds back his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. The righteous eats to the satisfaction of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked lacks. Take the hymns of of grace and turn to 368. Hymns of Grace 368, Speak, O Lord. Let's stand together as we sing.
Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Perhaps a good verse to even begin with this afternoon is that which Mr. Middleton read to us a while ago. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. We are called on to guard our mouths, watch our words. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, I want to start reading at verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walked, in futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of er ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have learned Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former matter of life, you've laid aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you have renewed in the spirit of your mind, And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Rather... He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. And let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment." so that you will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I wonder this afternoon as you take inventory of the words that have come out of your mouth this past week, is God well pleased? Were they words that tore down or built up? John or Martin Luther said this, the greatest mischief which has been afflicted on Christianity is not the risen of tyrants with persecution, murder, and pride against the Word, but from that little bit of flesh which resides between the jaws. This is that which afflicts the injury upon the kingdom of God. That little bit of flesh between the jaws, jaws, Martin Luther says has done more injury to Christianity than even tyrants and persecutors. And I wonder how often the words that we speak have done more injury than good. How careful are we with the words that we speak? We have, this is now the third message in which we're dealing with the tongue and what I've entitled simply the training of the tongue. And we began a couple weeks ago to consider some of the sins that the tongue is the instrument by which they proceed. What are some of the sins of the tongue that we as believers 
should seek to avoid. Now, last time we said that the Word of God, the most frequent sin of the tongue that's mentioned in the Bible is lying. Lying. And, and we considered that sin together. This afternoon, I desire that you consider with me another sin of the tongue that we must avoid. And, and I wonder, when, when you know that, that I say that I'm going to speak about the sin of the tongue, what's your reaction to that? How, how do you respond to that topic? I mean, it seems to me we can respond one of two ways. Either we can respond with, yes, Lord, I want my tongue to be an instrument that is pleasing in your sight. I want my speech to be that which builds up and is good for others. Or our other response is, you know, this isn't for me. I'm going to speak any way I want to speak. I'm going to use whatever words I want to use. I really don't need this. How do we respond when, when we're confronted with the sin of the tongue, which many of us confess uh, we're guilty of far too often? And so this afternoon, I want you to consider with me the sin of what the New American translates as unwholesome talk. Some of your translation may say corrupt, corrupt speech. This is speech that does not build up. It does not give grace. Now, first of all, I want you to notice with me something about the background to this verse. And for some of the young people, this is going to be a repetition to what we heard in Sunday school. In Sunday school, we started uh, lessons on the armor of God. So we are in Ephesians. And in order for me to bring them to where now Paul says, finally, and begins to set before them the importance of being strong in the Lord and the power of His might, I wanted to set before them something of the background. Where did that come from? Well, the same is here. When, when Paul says to us in verse 29, let no unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, what's the, the backdrop or the background to that verse? Well, if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, you know that the first three chapters, Paul is giving a description of what our position is in Christ Jesus. He, he is reminding them of the fact that they've been forgiven of their sins by God's grace the, through the work of Christ. They've now been united to Christ. And so, therefore, they've been made righteous before God, all the work of God. And so that's where he begins. That's, that's the first three chapters. He sets before us, uh, the doctrine of salvation. And, and then in verse 4, or chapter 4, when you come to verse 1, he says, therefore, and we've learned that when you see that word therefore, you, you need to step back and say, okay, in light of everything I've said about your union with Christ and the salvation that you have with Him, Paul says, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And, and as I reminded the young people this morning, what he's saying is your behavior, your life, ought to reflect in a glorious way your position in Christ Jesus. There, there ought to be a, a degree in which when the world sees how you live, and how you behave, you all the more enhance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that someone says, I don't know why they behave like they do, but I, but I wish I had what they have. That There's something inviting about the way you live your life in this world, in your behavior, that causes others to even ask of the hope that lies within you. 
And the challenge then for each one of us, does my life enhance the gospel? Do I walk worthy of the gospel of that call by which I've been called so that others would take note that there's something about the way that we behave that is contrary to how the unconverted world lives. Does your life cause others to want to know more about what you have? That is what Paul expresses here. And then he goes on and he speaks more practically about this walk. He says that if you're in Christ, the old man has been put off, the new man has been put on. You, you, before you engaged in immorality and, and impurities, but that's no longer the case. There, there's been a change in your behavior and what you do. And therefore, he says, one of the things you're going to do is you're going to quit lying. You're, not, you're going to speak the truth. Lay aside falsehood. He says, if you've got an anger problem, you're going to deal with that anger. You're not going to be that angry individual that you once were. And when you are angry, that you make it right. You don't let the sun go down on your anger. But you make things right. You quit stealing. Whether you, you may say, I've never been a thief. How about time? They're, they're at work. How about little things like that? Let him who stole steal no longer, but let him work with his hands. And then he says, here's another mark, a practical mark in the life of a believer. Let no unwholesome word proceed from their mouth. No unwholesome words proceed from their mouth. If we put off the old self and put on the new man, then no longer should my words be unwholesome. But my words, what I speak, ought to build up. What I say ought to edify and not tear down or do harm. The words that I've spoken, even this past week, have they been words that are seasoned with grace and favor? Or are they words that seek to destroy, to hurt, or bring pain upon another? We must be careful with our words and what we say. Last Sunday we were in Texas and the church we attended, the pastor was speaking on marriage and he gave several principles with regard to marriage. I would say he gave several principles with regard to communication in marriage. But one of the things he said, which I thought was very true, and he said this, Positive words are hard to remember. Negative words are hard to forget. Isn't that true? And it is with me. I get done preaching, you know, and, and I get three people coming by. Thank you, Pastor, for that. That was so helpful. Thank you, Pastor, for that. And then I get one person that comes by and says, you know, Pastor, you missed... You missed this, and you should have done. And, and, and so when I go home, what do you think I dwell on? You know, those three people, they're my favorites. That was so kind of them to say kind words to me. No, I go home, and I think, oh, man, I blew it. I, I didn't. And, and I dwell upon that. Positive words are hard to remember. Negative words are hard to forget. And don't we find that true? People who have hurt us with their words, you remember far longer 
than people who've been positive with their words towards you. And so that's some of the background of where this comes from. As people who walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, you're going to be careful that no unwholesome talk comes out of your mouth. So now, having given you the background, let me give an explanation of the term. What does he mean when he says unwholesome? What, what does that word mean or corrupt? Well, perhaps I could give you an illustration that will help you to remember. Years ago, I just graduated from college. I was still a bachelor. I was living with a, another guy in a mobile home there on the church property where I was working. And uh, neither one of us were great cooks and so forth. And we'd go to the grocery store once a week and find some stuff we thought would get us by, and, and we did that. And included in that, we got some hamburger. And, and so we, we put the hamburger in the refrigerator, and we thought, well, we'll do hamburger patties tonight. And then to bachelors, somebody invited us over for supper. You guys want to come over? We went over for supper. And the next night, somebody says, hey, why don't you meet me, you know, McDonald's, and we'll get a hamburger there. So we did that. And to make a long story short, probably four or five days later, we had no place to eat. So I said, hey, we got that hamburger. And he says, yeah. I said, I'll, I'll cook up something with that hamburger. And I remember reaching in the refrigerator, grabbing that hamburger, unwrapping it, grabbing a handful of it, begin to pat it out when this stench Hit my nose. I mean, it was bad. It was rot. I mean, it, when I see Pete, we still laugh about that. Because I, I just remember going, oh, oh, oh. And, and you, got, you know, we went to Burger King that night. I don't know where we went, but we didn't eat that stuff because it was rotten. That's the idea here. That, that's the thought. It's the idea of something that is corrupt, something that is is rotten to the core. That's the term Paul uses here. And at the core of the issue is this. Our words are the diet of the minds and hearts of those to whom we speak. Our words are the diet of the minds and the hearts of those to whom we speak. In the diet where there is nothing but that which is rotten, foul, it will have a bad effect upon those who hear it. But if the diet is one that is productive, wholesome, good, building up, it will be for the good of the hearers. When I speak, when I talk, what kind of diet am I feeding those who are listening to my words? Is it such that it is rotten? Or is it good, filled with grace? That's what we ought to be asking. When I'm speaking to you, are my words for your profit or am I speaking in such a way that it is doing you harm? So how do I speak? And I'm not talking about speaking to someone when you're just chit-chatting along, what would you do yesterday, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about when we speak to each other, perhaps in the bit of frustration, perhaps when we are, we are angry, perhaps when we've been disappointed. Yet even then, how do my words come across to those that are listening to what I have to say? What kind of diet am I feeding them? It, it's the idea of abusive speech. It's the idea of slander, gossip, tearing them down, vindictive speech. It is only words that I use for one purpose, and that is either to destroy you or bring you down. I want to hurt you. And though I may not double up my fist and go at your nose, 
I trust that my words will be a dagger that will bring pain upon you when I speak. That's what we mean by unwholesome. And the Bible says as believers, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. Now, let me just move on to say, give you an, an example, particular example of this type of speech. Go over to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. Here the Apostle Paul is again giving us exhortations with regard to practical behavior as those who are in Christ, those who have been united to Christ. Ephesians 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse, coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. It's interesting that, that Paul says, as believers who are imitating God, that our lives should not be marked by immorality or impurity, and then in the same breath says, and there should be no, and he goes to where? The mouth. Filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting. Three sins of the tongue are being addressed here. First of all, he talks about don't let your speech be marked by filthiness, which has to do with shameful speech. It is, as some refer to, as some of you might know the slang, bathroom talk or locker room talk or shop talk. You know, when you're there and a bunch of guys are all together and they start just talking and, and they begin to speak about subjects that you ought not to speak about. You ought to not to even let your ears have it. That, that locker room talk that we, we might remember, some of us, when we were in high school, it is shameful language, slang terms, which have to do with body parts or private bodily function, or sexual activities. That's what this term is referring to. Filthiness. Colossians 3, in verse 8, says, Put away abusive or shameful speaking from your mouth. Such speech God prohibits. Sometimes men use coarse language, unseem language. And they, what's wrong with it? There's nowhere in the Bible it says that's a bad word. Why can't I use it? Well, in our society, in our culture, it's shameful language. You don't use it. He goes on to say silly talk. And that's, that's the idea of something that is foolish. Some of you may even have a translation that says you, you, you just talk foolishly, which points to mindless speech. It is speech that is beneath the image bearers of God. It's the speech of a fool or a drunkard. It stands in contrast with the, the dignity of one who ought to bear the image of God. It, it's just foolish talk. And then, coarse jesting. Coarse jesting. And this isn't Friendly batter that goes between one person and another. You know, I had a friend from South Carolina that visited this week. We've been friends for close to 50 years, and, and we like to give each other a hard time, so we joke around a little bit. It's not what he's talking about here. 
What he's talking about here is that of taking an innocent statement and turning it into something that is unclean. You see, some people have the ability to move a conversation to a suggestive nature or an unclean nature. They have a garbage can type of mind. You're talking about something very innocently, and then they turn it around. Oh, did you mean? And they turn it around and make some innuendo that is contrary to that which is clean and good and wholesome. <laughs> and, you, and you know where you hear that a lot? You hear that on music. Music in our day speaks about things that we ought not to be listening to. Sitcoms in our day turns things around so that all of a sudden you're watching something or listening to something that now has become unclean, unwholesome. So I, I've even found that some so-called wholesome shows can suck you in. So now you're watching someone commit fornication, but it's all part of the plot. And we get used to it. It's turning things to that which is unclean. Those things are unbecoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that happens. You can find yourself in the midst of a conversation and someone says something about something and, and, and somebody else says, Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I, yeah, you're talking about, you know, Mrs. Jones gone in. You, and and it, it turns the whole conversation in a way that's displeasing to God. Here's the sin that needs to be avoided. Unwholesome, corrupt talk ought not to proceed out of your mouth. So let me bring this to a close. But I just wrote down several things that, that I want you to consider with me to keep you from engaging in unwholesome talk. Number one, dear people, we need to live with the realization that God hears everything I say. God hears everything I say. We were talking downstairs over lunch and the conversation came up of, of certain people that you're around. It happens to me a lot when people use what we would call bad language and they realize I'm standing there and it'll be, um, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that around you. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I, shouldn't, I, I, I chose the wrong word. I forgot you were here. I, I get that a lot. To which, as we were talking, you know, my, my thought is, you don't need to fear me. There's one greater than me who hears everything that comes out of your mouth. And so when nobody else is around, when the pastor's not nearby, fellow church members aren't there, when, when perhaps your spouse isn't around, and you think, I can talk this way, God hears everything you you. Whisper, and God hears it very clearly. So remember, God hears everything you say. Secondly, the words that I use, are they profitable? Are they helpful? Are they beneficial? Do my words build up or tear down? We, perhaps, ones who know us best, we ought to ask. We ought to ask our spouse, Honey, do my words, do they build you up or tear you down? Or what, what, what does my speech do for you? Are they profitable? Thirdly, when I speak, do I speak with a proper attitude? When I speak, is my attitude correct? Because you see, God not only knows what we say, but He knows what's going through our heads, what our attitudes are when we speak. Fourthly, I think I'm on number four. I don't know. 
I just wrote a bunch of things down here. But, but fourthly, do my words please God? Is He pleased? Can I go to bed at night and put my head on the pillow thinking, the words that I've spoken, God smiled at. God is happy with. Is He pleased with what comes out of my mouth? And then finally, when I use corrupt words, When my speech does not build up, am I quick to apologize, confessing my sins to God and asking forgiveness to the ones I spoke to? Oh, it's not a big deal. They'll forget about it. No, no. Come on, Pastor. Well, it is a big deal. Negative words are hard to forget. It would be helpful if there was an apology and an ask for forgiveness. What are the words that proceed? Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Great, great trouble and turmoil comes from that little bit of flesh, as as Martin Luther says, that's between the jaws. And we be, may we be careful with regard to our speech. Oh, may God help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to tame our tongues. That they would be instruments that you can use to be instruments of grace and to build others up. Forgive us for the times we've used those words to hurt, to cause pain, and help us to be diligent in guarding our mouths, guarding our tongues. So, Father, we pray for Your grace to do so as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, let's take the Trinity hymn book 547, my Jesus, I love thee. 547. Let's stand together as we sing.